Stuart's going to sit here looking at his phone. Cool. Um, but if we say something interesting, he might make a comment. Okay. And, <laughs> and that's it. So if he doesn't comment, then I know that I haven't been saying anything. We haven't anything said anything, inter- anything interesting. Or whatever's happening on Twitter is, yeah, is way super interesting. All right. Hi. Welcome to I Know the Owner, a podcast where bar people talk bar stuff. I'm Charlene Wellington. I'm your host and the owner. And I'm here with Jen, who just said her last name, and it fell right out of my head. <laughs> Hi, Jen. What's your Hi. last name? Maslenka. Maslenka. Yes. And we're at the Spring Lounge in beautiful downtown Manhattan. How are you? I'm great. Great. <laughs> As you can see, this is very professional that I didn't remember <laughs> your last name. Um, so... Welcome to I Know the Owner, and we're here at the Spring Lounge, which which you manage. Yes. And how long have you been doing that? Um, You know, it's actually been so long, I kind of don't even remember anymore. Uh, We're coming up on, I think it'll be 19 years that I've worked here. Wow. This year. I started, yes, I started in 2003. Okay, as Uh, a bartender? As a barback. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Came in as a bar back. I worked one day a week. Mm-hmm. I also worked a shift at the Blind Tiger, which was okay. their sister bar. Got it. And uh, that that was my little foot in the door mm-hmm. in the company. And then over the years, I just slowly clawed my way up the food chain. What so, made you decide to to start as a bar back? It was the only thing available to me. Okay. I mean, I went from being, you know, where I worked up in Hell's Kitchen, that bar that I was at, I was like their head bartender. I worked, uh-huh. you know, five, six nights a week, you know, whatever, Wednesday through Sunday. Okay. And then I really, I needed to change. I worked there for uh-huh. a long time. So you had been a bartender. Yeah. But yeah. you were looking for, did you say like 2003? Yeah. That was a hard year to get work. It was. I remember I struggled a lot in 2003, 2004. Yeah, it was a really weird time. I had yeah. spent 2000, I'd spent half of 2002 driving across the country with okay. my best friend. And we had given up our apartment. We mm-hmm. gave up our jobs. And so we, when we came back to New York, we had nothing. Uh-huh. We had to, like, find an apartment, find jobs, find yeah. everything. And we kind of both went back to work at this uh, jazz bar um, that we used to work at in Soho. The Uh owner was opening a new place in Flatiron. Okay. So we both worked there, and it was dead. We went, like, there was no money to be made. I was coming home sometimes Mm -hmm. with an envelope with my tips in it that said, you know, Jennifer, $5. Oh, my God. And I was eating. Don't even bother writing that on the envelope. (laughs) I know. I was eating a lot of white rice. Uh (laughs) I had some really nice charitable friends Mm -hmm. who, you know, took me out for food and drinks a Uh lot. But um, one of my very good friends who worked for one of the bars here was an old regular of mine where I worked up in Hell's uh-huh. Kitchen, and he knew that I was looking for, you know, a better job. Yeah, and a job that made yeah. more than $5 a shift. It, yeah, <laughs> hopefully. So when did you start bartending? I'm like, let's back it up more. Okay, back it up. So when did you start bartending? Okay, so I started, you know, I can't even pinpoint the year, because so I started in the industry when I was 18. Okay. Which would have been 1996. Okay. Um... Started as I was trying to get a job as a waitress. I was in college, needed to put myself mm-hmm. through college, and no one would hire me as a waitress because I was 18 and I had no experience. Okay. Um, and so I was this close to working at a strip club as uh-huh. a waitress there because it was the only place I could get York? a job in New York. Yeah, I grew Wh- up in New York. Which one? Legs Diamonds. I know was it. the name of it. <laughs> um, it's owned by the Flashdance people. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> 
Um, I tried to get a job at Flash Dancers, uh -huh. and they were like, no, thank you, which I guess I just really? was not cute enough to work at Flash Dancers. It was probably just the wrong year or but, whatever. Um, but Lex Diamonds was happy to have me mm -hmm. as a waitress, and okay. so I was going to work there. And then uh, this restaurant that I had applied to the week prior called me up and they were like, you know what? You don't have any experience, but you seem really nice and okay. you're really interested in working. And so we'll give you a chance to come in and work and you could, you could answer the phones and take delivery orders and make milkshakes and stuff a like that. A restaurant in? It was in Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen. It was called okay. Vinyl Diner. Okay. Which it was around forever. I don't think I'm not sure if it's around anymore. They had like a Chelsea location. They eventually became like a little, you know, empire. Okay. But um I I'm not familiar and I worked in well, I didn't work in Hell's Kitchen. I worked in Midtown for a while. Oh, okay. But. Yeah, it was uh on the corner of 54th and 9th Avenue. So I sort of spent a few years jumping around Hell's Kitchen. I mm -hmm. I worked there. Then I worked at this place called Vintage, which is not there anymore. That was on 9th Avenue and 51st mm -hmm. Street. I was a waitress there. Okay. And then I was also working at a jazz bar uh, on Mercer Street called Cave Has. Okay. Was this very large warehouse space that was a restaurant slash coffee house slash jazz bar. All right. So I waitressed there for a long time. And when I was there, the manager of that place was also the bartender. She was this middle-aged Italian woman named Vinny from Staten Island. I love her. She had the tiniest little waist you ever saw. I already love and her. And the largest hips you ever saw. Okay, yeah, and I'm just loving her more. She was just a woman in charge. Mm -hmm. And so I asked her if she would teach me how to bartend, and she uh -huh. said, no problem, come in on your days off, and I will show you the ropes. And she taught me how to be a very efficient like, the, the technique of being a bartender, uh -huh. of how to be efficient behind the bar. That's great, because a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, it was... Sorry, sorry to my staff. No, it was really... It was like... <laughs> Not oh, all of them. <laughs> you have... Oh, you've got, you know, an order of three glasses of wine and four cocktails mm -hmm. and two beers. Pop your beers, pour your wine, because your wine can sit there, uh -huh. and then line up your cocktail glasses all with ice, and then boom, bang, boom, yeah. you make the drinks. And that's not something that a lot of people teach no, you. No, it's not. Um, and so I learned how to be very quick and very efficient from her. And what that allowed me to do was when I was waitressing at that place in Hell's Kitchen, one night they were short a bartender. It was a mm. martini bar. We had a book of 150 oh, martinis. Oh, no. That it were all awful. virtually identical, <laughs> and, but one little ingredient was uh -huh, a little different. And it sound, probably none of them were martinis, or they couldn't have had that many different they, ingredients. It was really, no, it was like 75 different versions oh of a Cosmo, God. basically, because it was the 90s. Yes. So, you I know, remember and, the 90s. Yeah. Um, so they were having a big party, and they were short a bartender, mm -hmm. and the manager of that place, who was also an older, middle-aged Italian guy, not from Staten Island, but from Queens. Okay. Very, like, pinky ring. Yeah. His name was Freddie. I loved him like he was my dad. Mm -hmm. He was a really good human. He was like, uh, Jennifer, uh, you, you know how to bartend, right? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. I've been bartending for years downtown. Yeah. Like, I got this. And he was like, all right, you're going to bartend the party tomorrow. It's like, great. And I bartended this party. And I knocked it out of the park, and uh -huh. since then they put me behind the bar, and then I was their bartender, and then that that just started my career. I bartended that, there for years. What what was it called? That place was called Vintage. Vintage. Yeah. And that was in in Hell's Kitchen, Hell's Kitchen. on okay. 9th Avenue and 51st Street. Yeah, it's not okay. there anymore. It closed a few years ago. Nice. So you were there forever. I was there forever. I mean, it felt like forever. In real, in you know. 
Really? It was probably maybe like three years, okay. four years, something like that. Like I probably that's did like a three or four stint at year stint at every place. Okay. Before well, I good. eventually stopped doing all that. I went to travel in 2002 uh-huh. um, with my friend, like I said earlier, came back. And then in 2003, I started here. And you started as a barback. Started as a barback. And weren't they like, no, you're too small? Or were they like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you'll fit behind everybody? <laughs> uh, no, actually, they didn't really. Well, it's funny because in terms of size, the barbacks that we've always had at this bar are actually notoriously very small humans. Okay. We've oh, we've had. Because it's small back there. It's very small yeah. back there. And we have, if you look on the wall, there's that painting up there. Uh-huh. That's Gustavo, who was the barback who worked here when I first started working here. Okay. And the current barback is his brother. And they are these very small, tiny Mexican guys uh-huh. with very I mean, large bellies. Large in that picture. I guess it's because it's a place of he honor. Does, but he was uh-huh. about this tall. Okay. Like 5'2", you know. Uh-huh. But also very fast and very uh-huh. speedy. And it's actually helpful to be small when you're back there because yeah, the yeah. sinks are very low. Uh-huh. And if you're very tall, one of our you're bartenders now back. is like six foot five. Mm-hmm. And bending over for him is really difficult. Yes. So, um, yeah, no, they were just like, I, and I was, I, I like manual labor. Mm-hmm. I'm a mover, I'm a shaker. I want to lift heavy things. Mm-hmm. I want to do all the things. So I was just like, let me do it. I'm going to jump right in there. And so I... I met with the owner. He's like, okay, you sound great. Let's uh-huh. give you a try. And my very first shift working to trail, which yeah. is what's happening behind the bar right now, uh-huh. I was trailing with the same bartender who's trailing my current the, wow. the girl is trailing today. She's worked here since day one that the owner took it over. Wow. Yeah. Um, Patricia, she's that, the best. I know where I, I know where I met her before. Yeah. It was it was at a party. I was like, she looks familiar. Mm. It was probably at, like, Adrian's Christmas party. Yes, we used to go to Adrian's Christmas parties yes. all the time. Patricia, it was Adrian's Christmas party. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's where I met. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was uh, Adrian's Christmas parties were always a staple for us. So... Um, she's trailing me behind the bar. Mm-hmm. It's my very first day trailing. I am very excited. I've wanted to work at this bar for a long time because uh-huh. everyone knows it's such an yeah. iconic place. And I'm back behind the bar. And the very first hour that I am behind the bar, uh-huh. the cash register drawer comes flying <gasps> out. And the metal runner on the side cut the tip of my finger off. Oh, my God. I swear to God. That's crazy. What did you do? I was very confused at first because I just, like, I didn't understand how I didn't catch the drawer. And then I went to pick up the money, and I'm like, why is there blood everywhere? What's happening? Oh, my God. I was like, wait, what's going on? And I look, and I see my finger, and I was like, oh, my God. And I just, I wrap my bar rag around it. Uh Uh-huh. Was was there a piece of finger on the floor? No. So it was like, it was, but it was sort of. Like hanging? Like hanging. Okay. Okay. So, um, so I, I, I just wrapped my rag around it, and I showed it to one of the regulars who I just met. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, my God, please look at this and tell me what's happening. And he looked, and he was like, you have to go to the hospital right now. They have to put your finger back together. And oh, like, my God. I can't God. go to the hospital. I I'm just, working. I just started working. It's my first day. My first day. You're like, no, you have to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital, got 10 stitches around my finger. Wow. My finger's still intact. Uh-huh. Um... And 
of course, like, you know, Patricia calls the owner, Brian, and mm-hmm. she's and he's like, what do you mean the new girl cut her finger off and went to the, what? <laughs> he's like, like, who is this person? Who is this girl? Yeah. Calling the guy who had recommended me, being like, who, who did you send me? <laughs> what is happening here? So, of course, I was terrified that I wasn't going to get the job because mm-hmm. I just cut my finger off. Yeah. So I just started calling the owner obsessively, like every other day. I'm ready to come back to work whenever you need me. I uh-huh. get, I can, uh, my doctor said I'm okay to work. I just work with a little finger caught on, uh-huh. like I'll be fine. I'm ready to come back, ready to come back. And I just hounded him to death until he finally was like, okay, fine, come on in. Yeah. We'll try it out again. And he, he told me later that he truly believed that I was just going to shoot myself in the foot, like just not work out. He's uh-huh. like, she's not going to work out anyway. She'll work a few shifts. Something's going to go wrong. And, yeah, and yeah. And that'll be the end of it. And lo and behold, now I'm 19 the, years later. 19 years later, here wow. I am, the manager. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I am on both sides of that story. I worked the first day and cut myself. Um, it was a favor for a friend who worked in this restaurant in Bay Ridge that, and I really wanted to bartend there and it was busy and they needed an emergency fill-in and I came in and I cut myself on the disc on the bottom of the candle. You know that little metal yes. disc? It's really sharp. Yeah. And it, like, one had fallen somewhere near the oh ice God. and I, like, cut my hand, like, right here oh my God. on that disc and it was gushing blood. Um, but I didn't, like, need stitches or anything. And I just wrapped it with a bar rag and then just kept working. And then the bar rag got, like, red. Oh and then God. I, like, changed it to another bar rag. And I worked the whole night like that. And, like, didn't stop. Kept up with it. And they never called me again. And I thought I did such an amazing job. And I was so disappointed. Oh, my God. Um, and, and then... Um, a few months ago, we hired um, a sandwich prep person because, you know, we have to do food now. And he promised us that he knows how to use a meat slicer. He <gasps> worked in a deli, blah, oh, blah, blah, no problem. Oh, I'm scared. And he cut his hand uh, cleaning the slicer uh, and, like, refused to go to the doctor and just, like, took four days off and came back. But I was... I was it was... Stuart was showing him how to use the slicer, and we were... Very much like, please, please, please be careful with the slicer. Mm-hmm. And I even, I yell at my bartenders, you know when they're cutting fruit and they like look up and I'm like, never look up. Yeah. Never look yeah. away from a knife that you're using. That's yeah. crazy to me. And I'm like, please be very careful. This is very sharp. And then sure enough, Stuart looked away for one second and he like wanted to clean the machine and like, you know, like oh. get it all done. And then just cut, I think he cut Ooh. like three of his Man. fingers. Oh my God. And, yeah. Shivers but, just thinking you know, about it. What do you, having been on the other end, like having worked in so many places where you're not treated the best, I obviously was like gonna have him back, and times have, of course, changed. Yeah, like, you oh can't my God. just be like, you cut yourself, sorry. Not <laughs> long ago, I think it was Columbus Day weekend because mm-hmm. I remember it was a Sunday night shift that we all got caught off guard, um, and my my crew just got slammed. We were way mm-hmm. understaffed, and. Part of the reason they they struggled so much that night is one of the bartenders who is newer a newer hire this past year mm-hmm. cut himself like reaching into the beer bin like there was a broken bottle in the beer bin that oh, you know he didn't yeah. see he dug his hand in there like broken bottle went right into his hand or whatever um, and he same thing like he I think he like cut his finger pretty badly uh-huh. but he just like wrapped, wrapped it up it. and kept working 
It's crazy. Even though his coworker was like, I think you should go to the hospital. And he's yeah. like, no, 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 I'm no, fine, no, no, I'm fine, I'm, good, I'm fine. I'm good. And he, and thankfully, he was fine. But he kept calling me telling me how mortified he was. And I was like, listen, I, I told him the story about my first mm-hmm. day. And I'm like, I get it. We yeah. all, like, this is... Bartending is not an easy, yeah. it's a hazardous job. And then, there are so many opportunities for hurting yourself when yes. you're a bartender that people don't realize. But the fear of hurting yourself on like your first couple days oh and then God. being afraid, not that you're going to hurt yourself, but that you're not going to get the job. Oh my God. And that's yeah. so real. Totally. I, <laughs> not long after the cutting of the finger incident, mm. I was then, I was hired and I was barbacking on a Sunday night. And as I was washing glasses, uh-huh. you know, we have the electric glass washing yeah, scrubber. And, um, as I'm washing glasses, a pint glass shatters in the <gasps> thing as it's spinning and, and spun out and cut open my palm. Oh, my God. And I was just like, oh, my God. And I just, and I was terrified. I just was like, oh, no one is seeing this. And I just mm-hmm. literally wrapped it in a bar rag, went downstairs, like bandaged it up, put a glove on. The bartender I was working with was like, what's going on? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> I just, a small cup and, and I'm totally fine. And you're a grown-up. Yeah, yeah, but I was terrified yeah. of telling somebody because I was like, I'm going to get in trouble and they're not going <laughs> to let, me, not gonna let me work here anymore. Yeah. You know? Which is so silly. Especially after 19 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're going to be like, first she cut herself on her first day, now she cut herself 19 years later. That's it. That's her second chance. <laughs> I know. She's done. She's Never done. Ever. That's it. I told her. Yeah. Um, so how long did you bar back before they were like, all right, you can serve a beer to a customer? You know, well, our barbacks here actually do serve customers. Oh, okay. It's one of the, we're one of the rare places where we, our barbacks are, are essentially bartenders, uh-huh. but just, then you're also responsible for doing the grunt work. Okay. Um, so it actually all progressed very quickly. And I, I still barbacked on certain days, mm-hmm. even once I was an assistant manager just uh-huh. because it was an extra way for me to make money and to work mm-hmm. and to be more active on more of the shifts. Okay. So I would say within, you know, within six months or maybe even less, I had like a full bartending shift here mm-hmm. on Monday afternoons. And then I was given a couple of uh, bar backing shifts in addition to that. Um, until, and then once more bartending shifts opened up, I was offered those. Uh-huh. But Pretty early on, the owner offered me the opportunity to work in the office with him. Okay. Because he didn't have enough shifts to give me. And so uh-huh. I was still working at that shitty Soho. Uh-huh. Well, it wasn't a Soho. The Flatiron Jazz uh-huh. Bar where I made no money. Um, and he would always ask me, well, you know, why do you still work there? You know, why don't you quit that place? I'm like, well, I can't. Like, I can't afford. I have to have a second job. Yeah. I only have two shifts here. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, well, how about if you work in the office with me a couple days a week? I could teach yeah. you some of the administrative stuff if you're interested in that kind of thing. Um, and that way, you know, you'll make a little bit of extra money and then maybe eventually you could leave that other job. And yeah. so I started doing that and I started working in the office like two or three days a week in addition to my two bartending shifts. Uh-huh. Um, and then that's sort of also parlayed into, okay, well, you can work in the office for a few hours in the morning and then bar back the happy hour, you know, on Thursdays and Fridays or whatever. So I was able to make enough money to quit that second job. You're giving me ideas. It also, (laughs) it also was my foot in the door in understanding what the other side of running a bar was about, which was something that I was really always interested in. But I guess I just didn't know it yet. Yeah. You know? It wasn't until I was a little older. I spent a lot of my 
late 20s mm-hmm. trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, as, as, as everyone in the restaurant industry uh-huh. does. Um, and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't an actress or anything like that where I had the opportunity to, you know, I had visions of, like, a future career and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I'd always been a dancer. And uh-huh. by your late 20s, if you're not you're already done. a professional dancer, your career is over. Yeah. Like, you're not having a career as a professional mm-hmm. dancer at 30. Yeah. So I knew that I had to find something else that I wanted to do. Um, I had a degree in education, and I knew I 100% did not want to be a teacher because <laughs> it was... In, in studying Imagine that, now. Oh, my God. In doing my student teaching, I was like, wow, this is not too different than bartending, except that I can't curse at these people. Yeah. You know? And you can't physically remove them. No. No. You're just stuck in a classroom And with you can't it. be like, you're banned. Yeah. They, I have, come, they have to be able to come back. I come from a family. A lot of my family are teachers. My uh-huh. sister, my cousins, like mm-hmm. my aunts. Like, they're all educators. And I just, I, that is not for me. Yeah. I, you I'm know, with you. Like, I... God bless them. They do a I, lot of hard I work. I serve teachers, and they need a drink. <laughs> when the teachers come in, Desperately. I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Where in New York did you grow up? I grew up in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Before um, it was cool. Before it was cool. It's so <laughs> bizarre to me. When I was growing up, Greenpoint was a poor like lower middle class neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had pockets. Certain streets were always nicer. Uh-huh. Certain streets that had like the bigger brownstones where yeah. the families owned but them. There was were no really like, nice. cool restaurant. There was not a, a cool single bar. cool restaurant yeah. or bar. Um, there were a lot of like like dirty old bars with like drunk Polish guys uh-huh. hanging out in them. Yeah, yeah. And that was really it. And my family actually has lived in Greenpoint for a hundred years, more than a hundred years. Wow. Yeah, my great grandmother came from Poland in 1910 when she was uh-huh. 16. Moved straight to Greenpoint, got married, and then my family just stayed in Greenpoint. And the funny thing was, when I was a teenager, I was always like, none of you ever leave Greenpoint. Like, what is wrong? Like, get out. Get out of Greenpoint. Get out of Brooklyn. What are Mm -hmm. you all doing here? And, you know, wouldn't you know it that just a year ago I moved back to Greenpoint. Did you? (laughs) I did. That's so funny. I I did. Our lives are very similar because I grew up in Kensington. Oh, I just moved Um, from Kensington back to Greenpoint. That's crazy. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. I grew up in Kensington, and there was nothing. There was not a yeah. restaurant. There nothing. was not a, a bar. There was not a cool shop. And then um, when we were looking to open uh, my second bar, Hinterland, we were looking for a neighborhood that was, like, not as busy as, say, Park Slope or mm-hmm. Fort Greene. So we were checking out some other neighborhoods, and I was like, let's check out the neighborhood where I grew up. And lo and behold, there was a restaurant. There was a bar. There was a... Another restaurant. Yeah. It was like a cute liquor store, and I was like, "What happened here?" And we we live back. We live there now. We opened the bar, and then we moved. Hinterlands is a great bar. bar, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Did you go when you lived in Kensington? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's an excellent, excellent. Thank place. you. Yeah, and it was much needed. Also, I think so too. Yeah, especially yeah. in that area, because yeah. there wasn't. Even though there was cool stuff popping up there, there wasn't anything like that there you know you. go on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um that um that 2003 thing like I can't stop thinking about 2003 was the year that I decided that I was I was working a union waitressing job in oh. Midtown I had been in the restaurant union for about six years it was such a good job everybody that I worked with um had been there forever 
I had friends that had been there for 30 years, and I was like, I can't, if I don't leave now, I'm never going to leave. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to go back to school, like you were saying, I'm going to go back to school, and I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, because mm-hmm. I'm not going to retire from my waitressing job at 65. Right. And, you know, and that was, like, that was happening to people left and right. Right. And I was like, I was living, I was actually living in Kensington, and I, um... I was living in the apartment I grew up in because my mother moved out and I took over oh, cool. her. Yeah, yeah I, I moved back in and I took over her rent-stabilized lease. So I nice. had this amazing apartment for like six fifty a month. Amazing. And I was like, my rent is the really dream. low. Yeah, it was. My rent is really low. I'll just get any bartending job anywhere. Like I've been bar at that point I'd been bartending for like fifteen years. Yeah. And you know all over, and I quit my with my union job and I. Could not get another job. I don't know what was going on that it year. It was really but hard. It was brutal. It was and then, post post 9-11 yeah. in New York City, yeah, the restaurant I guess industry. That's what it was. I, I feel like people didn't really understand how something like 9-11 impacted the restaurant yeah. industry, but it really did. All over the city, even if you weren't downtown. Yeah. I mean everywhere. I was I was bartending up in Hell's Kitchen during 9-11 mm-hmm. and one of the side effects of that was, you know, for example, prior to that, our bread and butter was, you know, all the corporate parties we would yeah. get. And we weren't even, like, a big place with, like, tons of... We were just... We were small martini lounge or whatever. Uh-huh. But there were a lot of advertising agencies in that neighborhood. Yeah. And I could count on every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, the guys from Ogilvy & Mather or another one of those agencies uh-huh. would walk in, throw their Amex. It'd be one guy who throws their Amex on the table yeah. and goes... Uh, Send out, you know, like three of every appetizer and a bunch of other stuff, and you know, mm-hmm. cap it at two thousand bucks. Be like, okay, okay, no you know, and you just start the tab and you just let it roll, mm-hmm. you know, and you could count on that almost every single week. Yeah. And after nine eleven, that all it went like, away. Yeah, it all went yeah, away. Yeah, you're right. It was it was rough. Yeah. And um, so I think a lot of play, and then the the landscape of everything in the city was changing, and yeah. how you know like rents were getting higher, and it was just I feel like it was really hard to even you know secure like whether you were opening a place or mm-hmm. whether you were looking for a job like us like yeah. as a bartender. It just yeah, you know. it was it was kind of crazy, and like Craigslist was new. Yeah, and I remember I would like look on Craigslist, and I would go to like three or four of those like open calls a week and they were so crushing and I was like I know everybody that you spoke to lied about their experience like I really have experience just and then finally I actually said that to somebody I was like I can't do another interview I have experience just put me back there don't pay me and he was like okay I was like thank you finally and that's when I finally got a job but it was yeah Yeah. that year it was really bad no it was I remember interviewing at a variety of different places and every place from you know like Empire Diner Uh to you know like I think I even interviewed at like Irving Plaza yeah I think I did literally (laughs) any anywhere that I merchants remember when merchants had like 75 locations I worked at the art bar I worked for them that's the same yeah same company yeah you know just anywhere that would that would give me an interview I would interview Mm -hmm. and either the trails were terrible or or you would go and it would be these open cattle calls yeah hundreds of people and they would be like measuring you and they wanted a headshot and I was like and sometimes just the uniform was prohibited I was like I'm not wearing that like I can't 
I'm not coming to work in that. I know, and it was so not my experience prior to that. Like, I, I really had always gotten a job uh-huh. based on word of mouth. Like, once I got that first job where that person yeah. gave me that chance, then it was all word of mouth. Like, I got the job at Vintage from Vinyl because... I had, you know, I'd gotten to know people in the neighborhood. Yeah, And same. so I got to know the people that worked there, and they were like, oh, hire her, she's really good. And yeah. so I was able to jump over there. And then I got the job at the jazz bar in Soho, which, you know, when it was in Soho, it was really busy. Like, uh-huh. great money, like, tons of tourists, like, really good jazz musicians uh-huh. came through there. And, you know, that my best friend in college, she worked there for that uh-huh. owner for, like, years. So I got that job through her. I never had to go to those, like, open call type things before. Yeah. So having to struggle to do that was very humbling. And also, it felt crazy. Because, yeah. again, like you, even though I hadn't been bartending for as long, I felt like, I felt very sure of my experience. Yeah. And what I was capable of. Yes. And the fact that I didn't feel like I was finding a place that fit was very disheartening. Yeah. And I think that's what felt so magical about, not to be cheesy, but I'm going to be cheesy. Yeah, be cheesy. That's what felt so magical <laughs> about finding this place. Uh-huh. Because even though I started here and at the Blind Tiger simultaneously, uh-huh. and I really liked the Blind Tiger, and it was the customers there were great, and we shared a lot of employees. Uh-huh. But this fit me. Like, I walked mm-hmm. in the door, and, you were and like, there this were is my two family. old men sitting <laughs> at the bar drinking Schaefer on tap and doing uh-huh. shots of tequila. And I was like, oh, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is, I know how to do this. Yes. This is like yes. the thing I've been trained like to and like wanting to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took a lot of pride in it. And I do, I, I, I've always taken a lot of pride in that place, which is what made sense for me to eventually become the manager. Because yes. every little aspect of this place is, it feels like it's a part of me, you know? And, and when did you become the manager? So, I guess... Let me think. Okay. I don't is, even know. It, is it, like, mushy? <laughs> like, kind like, all of. of a sudden, one day, you were the manager? Yeah, because it kind of just happened organically. There was mm-hmm. never a time where it was like, okay, and now you're the GM. Mm-hmm. Because this place never had a GM before. Yeah. It was always Brian, the owner, the main mm-hmm. owner. He took it over. Um, or not, he took it over. Like, when he took the bar over 25 years ago, this uh-huh. is the 25th anniversary, actually, oh, him wow. taking it over in March, March 15th, actually. Oh, that's coming up. Yeah. We'll, I we, do March. will be 25 years. <laughs> so, um, he was the only person that ever ran it, mm-hmm. and he had people like me who would come work in the office with him, uh-huh. count some money, help organize some bit. paperwork, yeah. help out a little bit, but nothing really... You know, he he liked to have his hands in everything. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until he saw me constantly over the years taking on more work, yeah. volunteering to do more, and taking more ownership of of the, you know, the productivity of the bar mm-hmm. itself. Um, you know, and I started doing, that's when craft beer started exploding. And so I okay. started doing craft beer events. And, oh. you know, I had started dating my husband uh, who was a chef. And so he and I started teaming mm-hmm. up on doing like food and beer events together, you know, that we would host here. Oh, wow. And doing that kind of thing. They and got I, a lot of free labor from you. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Really did. Um, so I, I want to say it was probably around like 2008, 2010-ish. Okay. Like, like 2008, I would say, is All when right. it started moving towards like, okay, she's the manager now. And then after several years of being the manager, mm-hmm. um, you know, or after a few years of that, 
Brian was willing to say like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna step back and like, oh wow, you, like, like you. So you got can fire this. people. I can. <laughs> I. We don't really I mean, do that easily here. No, of course yeah. not. It no, sucks. we don't. Yeah, no. Um, no, we believe in giving people a lot of chances yeah. to. Uh, yeah. To um, you know, right their wrongs. Okay. As I like to say, but um. We've had we we have had more turnover in the past year than we've ever had. Before. Same, same. It's we just had, yeah. We I, had a hundred percent turnover since the beginning of the pandemic. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Did all of your old staff just retire or decide I not mean, like? Did they move? I mean, it's different. It's different for each case. Mm-hmm. Some were like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore, and some just burnt out and yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some, like, were really drinking too much and needed mm-hmm. to stop being in the business. Yeah. Um, Stuart was doing a hand motion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, We had yeah. very similar... It was similar for us. We had we had a handful of people who just flat out retire, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, we had a handful of people who tried to come back in the pandemic and it was just too difficult for them, yeah. you know, for one reason or the other. Um Luckily, though, I did have a core crew during the pandemic mm-hmm. who kind of, like, carried us through that year. Um, and we've been able to, and then, you know, slowly some of our older, you know, other, you know, veteran bartenders mm-hmm. have, have been able to come back. And we've had some new hires. But in this past year, we've had a little bit more turnover just with, you know, when you have the same eight people yeah. work for you for decades. Yeah. With one or two new people sprinkled in occasionally, it's really hard to all of a sudden have the reverse of that happen, which is you have like two veteran bartenders, a handful of people who worked for you for a year, Uh and then you're also onboarding like six brand new people out of nowhere. Yes. The the culture of who your bar is gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. bit. Yeah. And also as you know, in that in that pandemic year and actually not even in 2020 in 2021 I really thought once we got through 2020 that was the hardest year same but then 2021 was worse was bananas yeah like just every like the regulation changes every week yes every single week being like oh now you can stay open until 10pm now you can have 25% indoor now you can have 50% indoor now you can stay open until midnight every single week there was a new now you have to have food now you're not allowed to have food now I'm just I never said that but (laughs) no it was every it felt like Every week or every other week, there was a rule change, whether it was a, to be more restrictive or less restrictive. Yes. Where I was constantly just juggling. Yeah. So, like, okay, oh my God, I thought I had, I thought six people on Saturday was enough, but I guess now I need eight. Like, yeah. what, where am I getting two extra bodies? Like, I, yeah. you know, it's just this insane balancing act of trying to figure out how do I, how do I make the business run efficiently and effectively? Also with yes. the regulations. With also the regulations. keeping everybody safe. Yes. And also and, making sure that it's not mutually exclusive. Like just because it's a regulation doesn't mean it keeps everybody safe. Like right. you have to still Right. Yeah. Totally. It, there were so many things that just didn't make sense. And so I now I feel like we've been able to get into our groove a little bit. Uh-huh. Winter has been a little easier. Yeah. You know, we've, you know, shed a little bit of the weight of, you know, some staff members that just weren't working out uh-huh. that we had picked up over the summer and in the fall. Mm-hmm. And now we can really just focus on, all right, the task ahead. Like, we know what last summer looked like. Mm-hmm. So we should be able to prepare for this summer yeah. a little bit 
better. Yeah, yeah. And not be caught off guard. So when they did the shutdown on March 16th, 2020, yeah. you guys closed? Yeah. And then how long did you stay closed before you were like, we got to do to-go or something? We didn't do any to-go. You didn't to do go. any to-go. No. So you were closed the whole time We until... closed until outdoor dining was allowed. Okay. Yeah. And then you guys built your, your sukkahs? Yeah. <laughs> Literally overnight. Wow. I they're mean... Kinda, they're kind of cute. Well, so the, the current iteration uh, was built so over you had time. To, well, because those regulations changed every two weeks also. Exactly. They're like, you could build a sukkah. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, a sukkah is a structure that uh, Jewish <laughs> Jewish people eat in for sukkahs, um, and uh, that's what these outdoor structures remind me of. Yes, <laughs> and everybody in New York understands Jewish culture exactly. Um, so, so they're like, "Oh, you can build a thing," and then you build it, and then about three weeks later, they're like, "Oh, no, 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 no! It has to it has to be ADA compliant." So now you have to put a ramp. Right. And then they're like... Or build a floor. Yes. And then they're like, oh, no, no, now you have to have a floor. And then they're like, oh, no, there needs to be sandbags. Inside. Inside, in case a car hits it. Yeah. But also, the whole structure needs to be able to be movable in case we need you to move it. Yeah. So weigh the thing down with thousands of pounds of sand, but also make it mobile. Yes. But also, and it has to be X amount of inches high for mm-hmm. uh, we don't know what reason. Yeah. And X amount of inches deep and wide and round. And it, and like, it doesn't count as outdoor if it has more than two walls. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so, yeah. So that, yeah. Was, that was fun. Uh, it was insane. And so did you, yeah, go on. We, so basically when we opened, you know, they allowed, uh-huh. uh, they allowed outdoor dining to start on June 22nd. And okay. I remember, I don't know, that, that date is like burned into my brain. Uh-huh. The so, same way March 16th is burned into mine. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. we had, our goal was, okay, we want to be able to open July 1st. Okay. So I think, you know, sometime in that last week of June, we had a staff meeting here with anyone who was willing to come back to work. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, devised a very loose game plan yeah. of, we don't know what we're doing, yeah. but we're just going to try and yeah. see what happens. Um, and then we, and then, and then you had to play the game of like trying to save the parking spots to build the oh, structures. Yeah. So I didn't we think just, of that. yeah, because there's parking. I mean, so out front it was like, easy because there was no parking during the day. So uh-huh. we were easily allowed to save the space out front. But if but, you're like, I'm going to build this on Tuesday, you have to like a week before nab the parking spots. Wow. So we basically just started putting out traffic cones and kegs anytime uh-huh. a car moved. Oh my god! So you're watching to make sure to Constantly. see when cars move. And at one point, I remember, I don't know, we had a meeting, and I remember like a couple of my bartenders and a couple of customers basically just sitting outside in the street on bar stools with like traffic, like just surrounded by traffic uh-huh. cones in like a circle. We were like, we know this is this is not what they meant by outdoor dining, yeah. but this is what's happening right now. Yeah. So, um, so the owner saw a guy around the corner. Around the corner is that little stretch on Lafayette Street of Jack's Way Frida okay. and Ed's Lobster Bar and all those little Cafe Select. Uh, all those restaurants opened right away for outdoor uh-huh. as well. And the owner saw one guy over there basically building all their structures. Ah, yeah. And he brought him around the corner, and he's like, this is what I need built. Boom, 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 boom. The guy was like, no problem. I'll have it done in two days. This is how much it'll cost. And we were like, great. Take it. We literally just, like, slapped the structures up. Mm -hmm. I called every beer rep I knew in New York City asking for umbrellas, 
tents, uh-huh. whatever I could get. And we just, we used all of our indoor furniture outside to start because there was no indoor dining, yeah. so it didn't matter. Um, and we just, we just made it work. And I was just like, you know, most of my bartenders were like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to waitress. Yeah. I haven't been a, haven't been a server in like 25 years. What was that years. like? Um, I think it was mentally difficult for a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of them were excited to come back to work, but mm-hmm. also felt like, I don't know. I think a lot of them felt a little bit like it was a demotion. Yeah. Um, I agree. You know, I mean, there's always been that industry hierarchy, which I don't yeah. necessarily agree with, but it is what it is. Yeah, where yeah. it's like bartenders are the, you know, the ultimate, that's the ultimate yes. goal, you know. Um, but, you know, I also think there was this sense of, for people that have worked here for a long time, the Spring Lounge is a certain thing. Yeah. And it definitely, in that first, stre- like, the, that last six months of 2020, uh-huh. it felt like that thing was gone. Yeah, I know exactly what and you mean. And I think a lot of people struggled with that. Mm-hmm. I didn't personally struggle with it because I was not someone who was front and center, uh-huh. like, going from behind the bar to serving tables. Uh-huh. I mean, I would do anything. Yeah, yeah. If it was busy outside, I'd jump out there and serve tables. Yeah. But because my identity is not tied to being a bartender, yeah. I didn't feel that attachment to whether I was behind the bar or not. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. I just wanted, all I cared about was keeping the doors of this place yeah. open. You know? I mean, I think people treat you differently. Like, you sit down at the bar and you're like, this is somebody I want to talk to. And you sit down at a table and a server comes over and you're like, um, servant, come here. You totally. know, and, and I think for a lot of girls too, yes. uh, you know, there's that, you have that bar, so you have that natural three foot barrier there yes. between someone touching you, whereas you're running table service and someone wants your attention and they just don't think twice oh, about grabbing yeah. your arm or, not okay. t- you know, getting handsy or whatever, mm-hmm. which is a problem. We, we served all the customers. So okay. our, so we put our bartenders behind the bar, mm-hmm. whoever wanted to come in, we were like, this is how many shifts there are. Everybody gets one. And, you know, the limited hours, we put the bartender behind the bar. And then Stuart or myself would bring the drinks to the people because we have a backyard. We right. don't really have a lot of front. We had, like, a table that we put in the front because there's a bus stop. Right, because you have small frontage, right? Yeah, we have small frontage. And they made that a bus lane uh, last year or the 2019. They made okay. it a bus lane. So we couldn't put a structure in front. And so we, but we had the, luckily we have the backyard. And so I was like, I don't want the bartenders to go through this. We'll just do it. And we had to be there anyway because shit was weird. And it's not like I'm going to sit home and like let them deal with it. So one of us was there no matter when we were open and we would serve the people. And I was saying I was a waitress before. I've said this so many times in the podcast, but it was traumatizing that people would come sit in my house that I built and they would be like, "Um, excuse me, miss. And I was like, oh, how dare you? And it didn't happen to Stuart because they see Stuart and they're like, oh, that's the owner. He's like a tall man. Yeah, he just looked like a bitch. Yeah, exactly. Oh, see, Twitter wasn't funny for that minute. and, and it was so demoralizing. Yeah. And then at least I knew I was the owner, but for, like, the staff... And then eventually we couldn't do it anymore. We had to, like, one bartender is the server and one's the bartender. Right. And they had to do it. And I didn't even hear all the stories, but I'm sure it was demoralizing for somebody who's, oh, like... Oh, for sure. Come in and tell me all your problems and we'll, like, chat about it to be like, for sure. um, excuse me... Um, I ordered, and now I, we make sandwiches. What'd you guys do for food? We did hot dogs. 
Okay. It was a really easy decision for us because we had already, we used to do the free hot dogs on Wednesdays okay. uh, thing for years. Uh-huh. And so we had the whole setup already. Mm-hmm. So that just seemed like the easiest thing that we could very quickly and like easily just Yeah. So make when it was happen. mandatory, was it like, here's your hot dog, what are you having? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Um, <laughs> or people would come in and order a drink, and then we just, you know, we had signs up, but we would just, everyone would just explain, like, hey, everyone has to order a hot dog, you yeah. know? And I don't, it's very rare that anybody either put up an argument about it uh-huh. or, you know, like gave them a hard time or was like, no. Because no. what else are you going to do? Like, you're yeah. going to go somewhere else, they're going to make you order food also. Yeah. And if you come drink here, our hot dogs cost $2. Yeah. Like, you're going to have to go somewhere else and buy like a $10 pizza yeah. or whatever, or whatever it, it is. is. Yeah. I mean, that was actually something that was really fun for me was seeing how other bars got creative with yeah. uh, with the food mandate. Like places in Brooklyn that I saw that uh-huh. were just doing like literally a slice of cheese on white bread. Yes. A little, yes. like not even a full sandwich, a half sandwich. Oh, okay. Like in a Ziploc bag. I know a lot of places were... Um, you know, they were like getting the cheese and getting the white bread and making the sandwiches. And then at the end of the day, they're like, oh no, what do we do with these leftover sandwiches? And they were trying to figure out how they can like distribute these sandwiches to the homeless. Yeah. Um, because they're like, now we have extra food. Did you guys have any kind of like network of other bars that you were speaking to? Yeah. You were like, okay. Yeah. I luckily, so I'm very good friends with the owner of Fourth Avenue Pub. Okay. Um, Kirk, and I'm good friends with the owner of uh, The Gate in Park Slope. And so the three of us are basically on a constant text message chain. Um, Is that Bobby? Yeah, Bobby. Because he's in my text chain. Oh, see? (laughs) Bobby's fabulous. Yes. Yeah, so I was constantly Bobby, and then over at Fourth Avenue Pub is Kirk. I don't Um, know Kirk. Uh... He's great. Him and his partners own a bunch of bars all throughout uh-huh. the city. They've built, they've built themselves a little bar empire. Little empire. But Fourth Ave Pub is really his baby. Uh-huh. Um, it's the one he's at the most. So the three of us are constantly texting back and forth. Even just up until recently about mm. like Omicron happened. And everyone's yeah. like, okay, what are you guys doing? Are you making your staff wear masks again? Uh-huh. Like, how, what are you dealing with? You did know? you make your staff wear masks again? I did. Because okay. Omicron tore through yeah. my staff. I mean, I yeah. was the first one to get same, it. Same here. And the minute I got sick and then two more people got sick within a day mm. of me. I was like, everyone has to wear a mask. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Like, and I didn't make myself wear masks, but they all wore masks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it was partially, I mean, it was, it was, you know, I mean, they were terrified, like, because like you said, everybody we knew had it. Yeah. Like, even if you had COVID before. Yeah. Yeah. It was basically like everyone, and at the time, everyone immediately started testing every day. Uh-huh. And so it was just basically this like daily, every single time my phone rang, uh-huh. I knew. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. you know, I would look and I'd see like, oh, April's calling me. God damn it. She's going to tell me she has COVID. Yeah. Like it, it, and that's exactly what it yeah. was. Every single day, another person called me every single day that they had COVID. And uh-huh. it just so happened that the way it spread through the staff is that by the time... Like, I would say half my staff got it at first. And mm-hmm. by the time, like, the second half of the staff was getting it, uh-huh. the first, first half, half of the staff was, was ready to come back. Awesome. So I, we never had to close. <laughs> That's Amazingly. great. Yeah, we were We, we were definitely worried. worked with a bare-bones crew. I mean, these guys were, I mean, uh, Jesus, there were some Saturday nights where typically we would have, like, four or five people on staff, and we had uh-huh. two. Yeah. And I was just like, guys, I'm sorry. You know what? 
And I was still out with COVID, so mm. I couldn't even be here to help. Was the bar slow? Because we were slow, slow, slow. You know, we slowed down a little for like a week or two. Uh-huh. But we actually didn't do too terrible. Wow, no, that's awesome. we were okay. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that... Um, on the, I mean, we did. We were not as busy as we would have been mm-hmm. had that not happened. Obviously, uh, yeah. Because all of a sudden, all the tourists that were about to come to New York for Christmas Didn't, all canceled. Yeah, their plans. I mean, it was basically the week that we're usually the busiest. The busiest was, two weeks yeah. of the year yeah. just got decimated. Yeah. You know. Um, also, the week before Christmas was definitely the slowest, uh-huh. and a lot of that, I, I think a lot of that was people already had their plane tickets or their plans to go see their families uh-huh. and, they and they were they like, wanna... oh shit, I have to stay home now because yeah. I'm about to go see my grandma yeah. and I got to make sure I don't have COVID. Yeah. Uh, so, but as soon as Christmas was over, every, we also have, a, on the weekends, we have a much younger clientele than we normally do. That makes sense. So, I really think those like 23, 24 year olds did not care. Yeah. They were just like, sense. I'm fine. I'm vaccinated. Yeah. I'm boosted. I'm going to get COVID. I don't care it doesn't if my matter. grandma dies. Like, <laughs> well, no, it's not. They, they were staying home prior to Christmas. Yeah, yeah. But as soon as Christmas was over, they, came out. they didn't care about themselves getting COVID. They once the, the risk for their so, families was over, they were just like, I'm going. So you out. have a higher opinion of your customers. <laughs> I think I do. You're like they didn't want to kill their grandma. That's nice. <laughs> but also, I will say this too. In the city, I think uh-huh. so many people got COVID in those yeah. first few weeks of December. Yeah. That come January, everyone had it. Already. Everyone already had it. Yeah. I mean, I got it the first week in December. And I haven't gone out in two freaking years because I've got yeah. an unvaccinated toddler at yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, can this kid please get vaccinated soon so yep. I can like go out to a bar and feel okay about it? Mm-hmm. And once my husband and I actually got COVID, we were like, now you can relax. Oh my god, I can actually like, have a drink inside a bar and not have an anxiety attack yeah. afterwards about yeah. whether or not that was a bad decision I made. And am I not thinking um, of my kid enough, or uh, what, you know, whatever all yeah, the guilt all that, that you that go stuff. through. Um, you you feel a little bit like oh I have a free pass for I don't know these antibodies that should last me three months. Like, yeah, I got at a least. free pass for like yeah. three months yeah. to like go out and have drinks and yeah. We got COVID again March sixteenth, twenty twenty. And that's what let us reopen mm-hmm. because we were like, we'll, we reopened for to-go drinks and we were like, we'll be, we'll stand at the door and serve the to-go drinks. And then we called all our bartenders and we were like, anybody who wants to come in and be behind the bar, yeah. they won't have to face the people. Right, right. And we knew that we had it and they were saying that you don't have immunity, but they like let it slip that you might. And I was right. like, it's all I need. Right. It's all I need. So we felt a little bit invincible. Yeah. But then Omicron came out and I was like, oh, we could get it again? That's not fair. I know. We were, we were feeling so like... I know. Less anxious than everybody else. And I think that's what it's going to be now. Is that It's just going to be like the flu. Like mm. a different strain is going to pop up. Yeah. We're all going to be able to get We're the new gonna, strain. Yeah. But I mean, I was... I, I mean, I was... You know, I was boosted when I got it, and I was barely sick. I had a runny that's nose great. for a few days, and that's it. Like, never had a fever. I was never very sick. Yeah. If anything, I was pissed Get off vaccinated. that I had to be home for 10 days <laughs> when I wasn't really sick. So you got it before they changed it to five days? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When my husband got it, they had just changed it to five days. So luckily right. his 
um, his timing actually worked out because he's a chef. Mm-hmm. He was going to have to work all through Christmas, uh-huh. but he got COVID the week of Christmas. So he got to stay home for so Christmas. So we were actually able to That's spend Christmas awesome. as a family, which was kind of <laughs> nice. Yeah, they ended up shutting down his whole restaurant because literally What's, the entire can kitchen Can I ask staff, what his restaurant is? Or you don't, yeah, you don't have to... yeah, no, he's up at Quality Bistro in Midtown. Okay. It's a fancy French place. Oh, nice. Yeah. I don't know it, but maybe I'll get him on. It's like a whole family. Of, they they have a, a whole, you know, like, it's Smith and Walensky. And, oh, like, okay. quality eats, Got quality it. meats, quality Got Italian. It. Okay, yeah. It's like I've, a whole... I've heard of it. Yeah, I've a whole of bunch it. of places. It's, so he's at their French famous. one. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Um... Where was I going with this? I don't know. And um, I had a question for you, too. Go. And now I forgot what it was. Oh, I we started talking. I know. And God, was it what about was COVID? it? It was about COVID, but it was about you reopening for to-go. Or Oh, yeah. How did to-go go for you? Because that was so, we were so on the fence about it. And so, um, so, like I said, we got COVID March 16th. And then we were sick for, like, three weeks. And then we were watching all the, like, Cuomo special news reports. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they kept pushing, because at first they were like, we're going to shut down for two weeks. And then they were like, we're going to shut down for a month. And then he had made the next announcement that was, like, like the end of May. And I was like, all right, we can't just sit home yeah. and just let our business shut down. So... We decided that the two of us would go in on, like, a Thursday, and we posted something on, like, social media, and we were like, we're opening for a few hours, and we put a table in front of the door, and we bought some to-go cups, and we had, like, a menu of, like, five drinks, and mm-hmm. it was, like, like a frozen margarita. It was something that, like, you can't make at home. Yeah. And we put a little table in front, and that first day, when our, like, core regulars came out, and we hadn't seen people. We hadn't seen people for six weeks. Yeah. You know? And then our core people came out, and we didn't have any, like, outdoor structure set up or anything, and they were just kind of, like, standing in a semicircle of, like, five people. And and I was a little bit like, oh, my God, now six people came. Like, someone's going to call the cops. Um, and it was amazing. And we didn't make a lot of money, but we made, like, the rent. Yeah. And we did it. And you made a community connection, which was was really huge in those early days of the pandemic. And we, you know, we used to sell sandwiches that we bought from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And our theory behind selling sandwiches was that we don't want people to leave to go eat. Right. Like, they're not going to come here to eat. Right. But if they're here, we don't want them to leave to eat. Right. So, like, we didn't expect to make any money on the sandwiches. So... We got them from a really good sandwich place, but they were expensive, and mm-hmm. we didn't make any money on them. So I was like, we can't, we can't do that now. So we had um, a, a deli slicer that we had had since we opened and never used, and we, like, pulled it out and dusted it off. And, like, I can't believe you guys meat. just busted out a we deli slicer. We just busted out a deli slicer. We started making sandwiches. That's amazing. And then, you know, people would, like, get a margarita and walk with it. And I was like, we're going to do picnic lunches. So I started doing oh, yeah. this, like, um, you get two sandwiches and two cocktails and, like, take it to the park. And it didn't didn't sell as well as I had hoped it did. Mm-hmm. And we don't, you know, we're like, you used to live in Kensington. So it's like a small yeah. neighborhood. I feel like if I had done that in Park Slope, it would have been like, oh, my God. Um, but... We would get, like, two or three orders for the, like, whole picnic lunch mm-hmm. each day. Yeah. And our same people would come by. Yeah. We started opening, like, three days a week, and then we were, like... So I'm surprised that more people wouldn't do that right by the park. 
I feel like people weren't leaving their house or they didn't know or yeah. they weren't like they walked down a different street to go to the park or Yeah, I guess that was we're talking more spring, not summer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That was spring. Yeah. People were definitely still very skittish about certain yeah. people were yes. very skittish yes. about leaving their houses. And a lot of people are still very skittish. Like yeah. I was talking to um my my last was it my last episode? Yeah, we did um Wow, my brain hurts. Um, sidecar. They're oh, closing. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, they closed their kitchen. And we were talking about how certain neighborhoods, they've attached this, like, morality mm. to staying home. Yes. And then if you live in a neighborhood that feels that way, like, you don't want your neighbors to see you outside. You don't... And, and they're just like, like, what do you mean you're lifting the, the ban? And it's like, well... We've been following the science all this time. Right. And the CDC says we can lift this ban. And they're like, oh, no, we're not going back out. And Sidecar out. is kind of, is that in an area that has a lot more older people that live I over mean, there? I mean, it's Park Slope. Right. So it's yeah, a lot more I was trying to remember. Oh, it's Park Slope. Why was I thinking people. Prospect Heights? I don't know why I was. Oh, yeah. No, it's Park Slope. Okay. So there's a lot more, like, rich, affluent people. Yeah. And so I feel like... I don't know. They told us to stay home. We, t- we stayed home. Mm-hmm. And they told us we can go back out. So let's go back out. Well, you know, actually, before, do you need yeah. another drink? Would you like sure. a drink? Can we take I'm a break doing, for a second uh, to okay. get you a drink? Yeah, uh, I'm I doing drink. Uh, Espelon and soda. <laughs> Espelon and soda? Yeah. For you, Stuart? A splash of, no, no, just a seltzer. A seltzer? Okay, I'll be right back. Okay. Thank you. Sorry, I, just, I really needed a beer. Yeah. It was that, we were at that point in the day. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to ask you about, and then I'm going to read my, um, am I the asshole? Okay. So today, the city council met. Yes. And I don't know what they said, because I think they just met, like, yes. like, right now while we're recording. And they're talking about if they're going to make the outdoor structures permanent or Mm -hmm. not. What do you think? Um, I would love for them to be permanent. Mm. I definitely agree that there needs to be, like, regulations that are set. Yes. But, like, think about them. Yeah. Then lay out the regulations. Yes. Tell us what we have to do. Yes. Make them very specific rules. Yes. And then inspect people. Yeah. And then once they're inspected, I mean, I'm not saying it can't be like an annual inspection or whatever, Uh but, you know, we've been... Or whenever the health department comes, they can also look at your structure. But we've been like bombarded with, it's like DOT, DOH, DOB, random guys with badges saying they work for the mayor's office and they're here to inspect X, Y, and Z. And it's, you know, it was a, it's been a constant thing. Yeah. That where you just, you're like, I don't know, am I in compliance? Am I not? One guy says you are, another guy says you're not. Uh-huh. You know, we really have been trying to follow the rules, but I think I think it's a great thing. I mean, I know that they're not going to let us do it for free. Yes, they're gonna, of course not. You it's know. New York, and they're not going to leave it unregulated. Right. Yeah. Um, but... I don't know. I think it is a really cool thing. In I the think summertime, it is cool. I want to sit outside and yeah, have drinks. Definitely. And I do know, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine whose bar has a backyard. Uh-huh. And he said that what he doesn't like about it is part of the appeal of opening yeah. a bar with a backyard, as yeah. you know, is that you're one of the few places that has an outdoor space. Yes. And that's a draw for you. Yes. 
I still think that anyone that wants to sit in a backyard space is going to gravitate towards that. Yeah, They're going to gravitate so. towards going to their favorite bar that has a backyard over just choosing a random place with a shack in the street. Yes. You know? Um, but... I think it's really exciting. I love yeah. all the outdoor space. Yeah. And I and it's one of the things I've always loved about, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people compare it to Europe, but it is very European. It's very you European. Know, you go to Italy, and in every plaza everywhere, there's just, every place has yeah. a sidewalk cafe. Yeah. And it's fabulous. And I kind of love walking through the city, and everybody basically had minutes to build this structure. And every structure looks different, and mm-hmm. some are, like, super fancy, and some are just, like, black plywood, yeah. and some have a garden, and some have a heater, and some are, like, these little pods where you could just, like, be alone. And, yeah. just, and it's just kind of amazing yeah. that, like, all of these entrepreneurs who, like, really had no choice, and they just, like, got up and built a thing, yeah. and it's... Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. If you were even was, a remotely handy person in you spring or summer you of had 2020, yep. you could have yep. gone to every single restaurant. If you restaurant. could put together an IKEA shelf, you were good. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like go around. You had work. I mean, you know, as long as you had a truck where you could buy some plywood. Yeah, but, I exactly. Mean, just it, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, that one guy just built all the structures for this whole neighborhood. Yeah. And know? just because somebody saw him do it, they were like, "Oh, build mine, build mine." Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely. what I was gonna say before. Now, I know, I know, you need to wrap up no, to your right. other thing. I don't have to. When you were talking <laughs> about the idea of like to go, being you know that maybe what you were what you were trying to do would have been better in one neighborhood versus another. Yeah, we were very fortunate in that even though we didn't do to go when we opened for outdoor uh-huh. and even in the winter of yes. 2021 when it got I mean that was just like the long dark winter. Yes. Outdoor dining only. Uh huh. I had I remember. people crammed into my front space during Same. a blizzard. Yep. Same. When we weren't even supposed to have people mm-hmm. sitting there. Freezing. Freezing, drinking their little hot drinks. I sent all the bartenders home. I ran the thing uh-huh. myself because I was like, I don't know if everyone can get home. Yeah. So you know, I'll just stay here. And cu- the customers came out, you know? Yeah. And one of the things we're, we were so lucky for is number one, we have very loyal customers yeah. who are also our Same friends thing. who who love us dearly mm-hmm. and wanted to see us succeed. Yeah. But also, we had down Mulberry Street, uh, Ruby's, Ruby Rosa, like all these little uh-huh. restaurants, Grey Dog, who also built outdoor spaces and stayed open the whole time. Oh, wow. And then around the corner on Lafayette Street, yeah. Jack's Wife Frida, Cafe Select, Ed's Lobster Bar, all uh-huh. those little places. There's, a, I believe, a Korean place over there. Also, all built outdoor spaces. So this little area became uh-huh. known as a place oh. where there were things happening. Yes. You could go to restaurants, you could go to bars, and, you could get drinks. And so people who had been sitting in their house staring at their spouse for four right. weeks or people and, that were working from home and all, could get... And all of us in this little area were busy. Yeah, and that's we, great. Because... People and people felt safe coming here, mm-hmm. and they felt safe leaving their houses because even though I mean, you know, the streets got sketchy. Yeah. When when yeah. all the businesses had to close at 10 p.m., come 11 p.m., it was sketchy on the streets of New York, and so people felt like it was safe to be out at night around here in the yeah, winter because sense. there were so many businesses open yeah. in this little three-block radius. We had a lot of weird shit happen. I mean, I I am a firm believer that bars make a neighborhood more safe and I know a lot of people think that mm-hmm. like oh a bar it's going to bring drunks and but Mm-mm. it's a place with a light on with people in it where anybody can run in mm-hmm. and be like someone's following me someone's chasing me yep. I don't feel safe 
and the bar is going to accept you no matter if yep. you drink or not, no matter who you are. So, and when the bars closed at 10, the city became less safe. I yep. mean, it just did. Yep. Um, we also, we didn't have a little area where people were like, oh, stuff's going on. Our customers literally came out because they wanted us to stay open. Right. Like, they were like, so I'm in my warm house where I have whiskey and I'm going to go sit in the cold yeah. and drink whiskey. I'm going to put on my long johns. I'm going to put on my hat. I'm going to put on my gloves. And, you know, when when everybody kept calling, do you have heaters? Do you have... Heaters don't matter when you're outside. No. Like, and they I don't really know that, don't work. That concept is ridiculous. Unless you have, I mean, I've been to a, like a fancy restaurant recently where I was sitting outside because some of my girlfriends aren't quite ready to do uh-huh. indoor dining yet, which is fine. And it was like a huge heater literally uh-huh. practically on top of our Do you know how much you have to spend at that restaurant for it to make sense for them to run that heater? Right, exactly. Like, and like, that heater alone costs yeah. probably 5 to 10,000 yeah. dollars just for the heater. And then I don't know if it's gas or electric but whatever it is, it's expensive yep. like my, you know, $8 Jameson shot is not going to cover not paying for it. That no. that heat. No, you need you to know? be buying like a $30 bowl of guacamole, yeah, you know, exactly. for that. I know. Um, did you guys do heated outdoor space? We bought a few little electric heaters um, that like we bought I think we we had two and if you were sitting right next to it it made you feel slightly less cold right but we don't have the wattage to do like real like we would have had to redo our entire electric right and they kept saying oh you can get the propane heaters but they're actually not legal um well, and this year they said you couldn't use them. I mean, you could never use them. Like whatever they were saying. Oh, now it's legal. Now it's not legal. But if you know what the laws are, right? You can't. You can't carry them through a building. No. So yeah. you can't use them in a backyard at all. Oh, right. Because you're in yeah. the backyard. Yeah. yeah. No, you were not so you allowed. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. can't keep them. You can't store them on your premises. Right. They have to be stored ten feet. From any structure. It's just, yeah, it's so, all the rules. I so mean, yeah. they're, right. they're and, actually not legal. Right. <laughs> and I understand it, right? You don't want, we purposely didn't do propane because I, you know, people tend to drink a little bit yeah. excessively here at times. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. I don't want some drunk guy falling into a propane heater and of causing a fire, not. you know, yeah. getting hurt. Like, I, you know, and so let's, let's not do that. Yeah. So we did a few little electric heaters, but... It was only like right. if Those you were, barely take the chill out of your skin. <laughs> yeah. If you were the one guy that was like, I really need to go to Hinterlands because I don't want them to close. I'm going to put on my long johns and my thermals yep. and my hat and my scarf and my gloves, and I'm going to have one drink in their backyard. And then we put the little heater next to you, and like your right yep. leg was warm. <laughs> my friend's bar was doing a great idea, and uh-huh. I, I wanted to steal it, and I never did. Where I think now this we'll is all what steal she did. Um, she she got branded blankets. Ah, yes. She, I believe what it was was you could either sell, you could either buy the blanket Uh and then just bring it back with you every time. Uh Or you could rent the blanket. Oh. And then they would wash it. Interesting. We looked into that and it was cost prohibitive, but with the rental, that makes sense. But we did buy blankets from Ikea. Oh, And we sold them for like $5. Oh, smart. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about doing that, but it just... The branded blankets were like... $20 
$50 a piece or something like like to get them printed. They were they were very expensive. Oh, I was looking at super cheap like fleece with like yeah. embroidered like okay. not like airline blankets. Not oh, not like fancy. I didn't see blankets. those. Oh, we yeah. would have done it. <laughs> yeah, no, it. you have to you have to think of okay, what is the cheapest version of this yeah. thing that I'm thinking of? And then Google that and then you'll eventually find it. <laughs> we Good just went know. with we sold hoodies and winter in like we winter sold, beanies. Yeah, and we sold same, a ton of them. Same hoodies. That um, was, and people love them. Yeah. And now they have them. And they're and branded. I, yeah, and we brought awesome. them back this year. I mean we, we brought back yeah. our winter beanies this year and we sold out of like both colors in less than a week. It was crazy. Well, think of beanies next year. We'll do yeah. beanies. All right. I'm gonna and growlers. Well, we got very excited about them making to-go drinks permanent, and we were like, we're going to order growlers, and then it didn't happen. So, And are they, they're still talking about it, but they're not talking the, about I don't understand. The liquor store lobby oh, is right. no joke. So my so Kirk and Bobby, just, uh-huh. we just shared that article. They just shared that article uh-huh. with me that was in the Times or Fortune, or I forget oh, which article. Oh, I didn't article. read it, but I, I know it from a SLA meeting I went to. Oh, okay. I'll text yeah. it to you. It okay. was basically that they were talking about, like, half of the city council people were fighting for permanent to-go drinks, uh-huh. and then the liquor lobby yep. stepped in yep. and were like, oh, hell no. I went to, I'm like, I'll keep going. I went to, um, I had to go to an SLA hearing to open my bar minis mm-hmm. because the previous owners had their liquor license taken away. And, and um, an SLA hearing is very serious and none of my colleagues had ever been to one because none of us are like these shitty bar owners. Right. And they hold it once a month and they have a closed circuit TV and they have this panel of like five, it seems like judges, inspectors or whatever they are. Right. And I watched them one by one take people's liquor licenses away. Oh my God. um, Because it was crazy. That's traumatic. But it was. And I was like, oh my God, I thought this was just, you know, formality, but they're not going to give me this liquor license. We already built the bar. It was, it was scary. Yeah. And then this woman wanted to open a, a liquor, a liquor store in like Ronkonkomo. And it was in um, like a, a strip mall where there was a supermarket that was kind of like Trader Joe's. And she had written like a four page essay about what she had planned to do. And she was going to only sell local liquors and she was going to do wine tasting, and it was going to complement. And the owners of the four liquor stores within a five-mile radius <gasps> were all there. No. And their lawyer got up and talked about why they can't have another liquor store in that no. neighborhood. And they denied her liquor license. <gasps> yeah. And it was crazy because I was like, that sounds amazing. And the wine tastings and the liquor tastings. And she's only going to do New York-based companies. Yeah. And like, how good for the state? And shot her down. So I knew that, like, getting to go was going to be difficult after I went to that a few years ago. Oh, my God. Yeah, I didn't... It's funny. Like, one of the things that the article said was about how, you know, the, the perspective of the liquor stores is that, well... For every single drink that is sold to go at uh-huh. a bar establishment is a drink that 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 is being taken out of our pockets because That's that person crazy. would have bought something from us. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I because disagree. If I've got a customer who's sitting here and he's having a good time or she's having a good time mm. or maybe they're like on their way somewhere or whatever 
and they're like, oh, you know what? We really got to go. Like, we're going to so-and-so's house or mm-hmm. we're going home or whatever the reason is that they got to go. And they're like, you know what? I'm really enjoying this cocktail. Make me another one. Yeah. You know, and I'll take it to go. Or I'm really loving this beer that I can't get anywhere because yeah. it's only available on draft. I'll take it to go. That person would not necessarily be going to a liquor store to no, buy a bottle of wine not, or buy a bottle of booze. They would just get right. They would just go home. Yeah. So it's we're not competing with liquor stores. No, we're not. I mean, if anything, maybe we're competing with bodegas for buying cans of beer. Maybe. Maybe. And also, you're not getting a margarita at a liquor store. You're not getting a bottle of wine past midnight. Like all those things. Right. So I could understand maybe the regulation of okay, you're not allowed to sell full, unopened, like, bottles of liquor. Yeah. Like, I'm not allowed you to sell a customer a bottle of Johnny Black. No problem. Or even you're not allowed to sell a shot of Johnny Black. Fine. It must be a cocktail. Right. I'll even, I'll concede that. Right. Right. There has to be a parameter between, like, absolutely no and, like, okay, you could do whatever you want. And the idea that at 3.30 I can be like, all right, everybody, and pour everyone's drink in a to-go cup and be like, now you go. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, that was one of the things, back when everyone was forced to close at midnight, one of the things we realized very quickly is that we were losing or we lost yeah. all of our industry business yes. because every single bar and restaurant was Close closing at the, same time. at the exact same time. Yeah. So we're open till 4 a.m. Every restaurant in the area who maybe closes at 1 or 2 and we get those guys yeah. coming in afterwards, yeah. we weren't getting them. I would. I will never forget one night I was here working and like one of the guys from the restaurant up the street literally like running down the street like mm-hmm. up to the front door when we were doing like outdoor only uh-huh. and just being like please I need a Jim Beatum and Coke and I'm like <laughs> okay I'm like babe we're close and he's like I'm just to go and I'm like alright no yep. problem because these guys are just getting off work they yeah. want a freaking drink too come on you know and I'm sorry, at midnight, the liquor stores are closed. They're all so closed. what are you doing? Unless you're going to a bodega and getting a beer, you're not getting anything. Yeah. You know? So anyway, that's my rant on that. That's my, I, I agree with you. All right, let's do this. We're having such a good conversation. I, I can, know. I could do this for hours. All right, let me find, I have my glasses on and I have a few, let's see, which is the best one. I'm excited about this part of it. <laughs> okay. I, 21 female, Oh, wait. Am I the asshole? Or a Karen for reporting a rude bartender to her manager? Oh, Oh, I forgot to mention. So I have a segment on this podcast called You Won't Believe the Fucking Day I Had. And I encourage anybody to email me at iknowtheownerpodcast at gmail and tell me about the crazy fucking day you had. Nobody does, so I read Am I the Asshole? I feel like nobody nobody tells me because they want to hear us talk about Am I the Asshole? So if you want to... Email me about an Am I the Asshole you saw that is bar-related? Mm. I could do that, too. So, all right. Am I the Asshole slash a Karen for reporting a rude bartender to her manager? I, 21 female, need to know if I'm in the wrong or not. My friends and I were at a casual restaurant slash bar, and there were a lot of people there, all at tables and masked up if they got up. So the restroom line was very long. My friend and I waited in the line in the line for, I kid you not, 30 minutes before we finally went in. It's a one-room bathroom with one toilet, no stalls, etc. Just a room with a toilet and sink. Anyway, we both went in. Yes, girls pee together. 
sometimes, especially when drinking. And we're in there for probably exactly a minute before we hear banging on the door. I had just gotten undressed to pee, which seems excessive. (laughs) And since it was crowded outside because of the line, there were at least 10 girls and 10 men outside the door waiting in separate lines for the bathroom. And then we hear someone say, open the fucking door right now. Those exact words, followed with more banging, which eventually turned into someone yanking the door so hard that my friend had to yank it shut, or else I would have... It would have opened in front of everyone outside in the restaurant, and I was undressed. I don't know why you have to get naked to pee. I know. I'm assuming she you're had to wearing, be wearing like a jumper a jumpsuit. or something. Yeah. <laughs> so the so I, out in the bathroom. Yeah. So I got dressed as fast as I could. Did not even pee because I was afraid my friend wouldn't be able to hold the door. <laughs> closed any longer and I would be exposed to 20 people, 10 of them being men. Oh my god, I love this one. (laughs) We opened the door and said we had literally only been in there for one minute and to wait. This went so different than I thought it was going to go. Yeah. Um, But it was a female bartender who I had tipped earlier, which I now regret, and she said, I work here. I get to pee first. Get out. You can pee after me. She went into the bathroom and slammed the door shut. And my friend and I turned to the girl standing in line outside and we're like, what the fuck? And a girl went, she works here. She has to deal with my drunk ass. She can do whatever she wants. Deal with it. And I got mad and started to say that I was a customer. And no, you can't kick customers out of the restroom. And the girl said, okay, bye, customer. And my friend and I just left to go to the bathroom on the other side of the restaurant. Wait, there was another bathroom? Why is everyone queued up waiting a half hour for a bathroom if there was another bathroom? My question is, am I crazy for thinking that what the bartender did was wrong? My friend and our friend back at the table thought so, but the girls in line said we were being disrespectful to her because she worked there. We did not say a single word to that bartender other than, can you please wait a second? The bartender fully tried to rip open the door and would have succeeded in opening it if not for my friend holding it shut. While I was exposed with my underwear literally around my ankles in front of multiple people. And also, she cussed at us when she said, open the fucking door. Oh my we God. went to the manager after we ate and told him about it and pointed her out. Am I the asshole slash a Karen for doing this? Or is the bartender in, t- in the wrong? I have so, I have so, many, so many things. So you many things. All the first. things. All the feelings. Okay, first of all, if you have to ask if you're the Karen, you're definitely the Karen. <laughs> that is like my one, number one feeling always. <laughs> that's probably a good like, uh, rule of thumb. That's just rule of thumb, yeah. right? Um, I... So, okay, you definitely were not in the bathroom for only one minute if your friend already peed because it takes longer uh, yes. than one minute I didn't for catch one that. human to take their pants off, pee, wipe themselves, pull their pants back up. I mean, unless she literally yeah. doesn't wipe herself, just like pisses and Maybe. like pulls her pants but back up. But if you're up, drinking, but... it takes longer because you've been drinking and totally. you have more pee. So you've definitely been in there for longer than a minute. Uh-huh. That's number one. If we're going by, it seems like an important part of her story was the time. Yes. One minute, one yes. minute, one minute. Um, number two, uh, two people went into the bathroom. Uh-huh. You know I'm what? With you. If, when I see two people go into the bathroom, I am immediately on top of that yep. door banging on it, being like, yep. absolutely not. Yep. Get the fuck out. One person one in the bathroom time. at a time because you don't know what two people, like, you're Drugs, a grown ass. Sex. Right. 
There's yeah. only one reason more than yeah. one person goes into the bathroom, yeah. especially if it is a small bathroom with a single toilet. Part of me initially was like, is this story about the spring lounge? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know. I that's, know. Our, that's our bathroom uh-huh. story. But, I mean, it's, look, we're not stupid, yeah. right? There's only one reason that multiple people are going into the yep. bathroom at a time. So when you see multiple people going in the bathroom at the time, you pound on the door, mm. you rip, you bang yep. on the door to rip yep. it open and say, get out one yes. person at a time. Yes. That's number two. Number three, I have a really hard time believing that that is actually how that story went down <laughs> because I don't think that any bartender would actually do that. So mm. unless... Maybe the bartender was already in line and those girls like cut off, cut her off and just went to get in. Or they were just taking too long. They might have been in there for 10 fucking minutes. I mean, it. Also, when you're drinking, your concept of time. You have no concept of time whatsoever. So that's, I feel like, more. So the answer is yes. Yes. You're you're the asshole and the Karen. (laughs) I, I, I totally agree. Um, First, um, so our bar Hinterlands is a, has a little bit of a nerdy clientele, and um, someone <laughs> someone threw a Halloween party at Hinterlands, um, and and everybody was dressed up in their Halloween costumes, and two women went into the bathroom together, and I was like, what the fuck? And I went and I was like, bang, 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 and these poor nerdy girls, I was like, one at a time, and they opened the door and they were like. But our costumes, and I was like, they needed help getting, getting out their of their costumes. costumes. Right. Okay, and, I like, can see that. Okay. And I, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm used to a much rougher crowd. Yeah. Um, so I think, number one, like, possibly, I've had the drunk logic where I'm like, if I go with a friend, like... Like, I'll pee, and then I'll be washing my hands while she pees, and it's actually faster because it's one sink and one toilet. Um, And if that story is 100% true, then, like, I think the bartender has a right to cut the line, but they don't have a right to, like, bang on the door and be like, I'm next. 100%. No. But I think you're right. I think the story is... Is not true. Slightly right. Yeah. I think that's that's my issue with the yeah. story because a hundred percent any bartender that would do that is one hundred percent in the wrong. Yes. I and listen, I'm not saying there's not a bunch of asshole bartenders out there. They, they because exist. There, there are. Yeah. But I know, especially at a restaurant, mm. like I don't feel like that would happen. And what was the secret other bathroom? And why was there a secret other bathroom? <laughs> yeah. And why weren't you there? Why yeah. were you waiting online for a half hour if there was another bathroom? Yeah. Like I'm very confused about I'm that. I'm confused. So, but I just know from experience of you know people emailing me regarding like uh, I have to talk to you about what happened to me at your bar oh, over no. the weekend. Oh yeah, it happens all the time. Or not all the time. That's like, like a whole other podcast. Every few months <laughs> we get one of those emails uh-huh. or or you get a Yelp review. Yes. Oh my God, the doorman at this place. Oh my God, that bartender at this mm-hmm. place. And you could literally be like, I was standing right there and I yeah. saw what happened yeah. and what you're saying happened is not what happened. Yeah. And so we're just going to... I can. I, I feel like I have a special talent where I can read any Yelp review for any place and like decipher exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And it's almost never what you think happened. And I have to tell you, if you think you're going to leave a Yelp review and try to get my bartender fired, it's not going to happen. Right. Like, that's not, that's yeah, not how absolutely. it works. Absolutely. I also, I, I firmly believe, like, you have to support your staff, and I will go to bat for any one of my staff. I also yeah. always investigate. Yes. Like, I mean, it's 2022. Yeah. We all have cameras. Exactly. We all have, like, we have the ability to go back, watch the tape, and be like, oh, actually, 
you did try to assault my staff member before yeah. they yeah. threw you out of the bar. Yes. So, sorry. Yeah. Like, it, you know. I'm like, that doesn't sound like my bartender that they jumped over at you. Like, yeah. 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 It doesn't sound like my bartender banging on the door because they wanted to be next. Yeah. No, yeah. exactly. I know. It's the, the exaggeration is always. <laughs> it's always very extra. Yes. Um, all right. We did the thing. Do you I have anything it. you want to plug? We're here at the Spring Lounge. Oh, my God. Now no, and we forever. Don't, yeah, no, we don't. So uh, with Spring Lounge, we are one of the few bars that opens up at 8 a.m. Wow. Every day. That is early. It is early. 8 a.m. to 4 a.m.? 8 a.m. to 4 a.m. Every day? Every day. No matter what? Well, I mean, Sundays no is what. 10 a.m. because the stupid brunch law, apparently, because it. it's God's day. Yes. So, you know, God forbid you have a, a beer on God's I'm, day. I'm Jewish, so but, Saturday I'll be in right. after 8. So... <laughs> 8 a.m. to 4 a.m. Okay. Um, we used to do free bagels on Sundays. We're going to be bringing that back soon. Okay. I was a little sketchy about doing sort of like communal All food right. yeah. during the pandemic. I hear but that. But I think I kind of figured out a way to do it. So we'll be doing, okay. you know, starting up probably in the Where next month Where do you get your bagels so. from? So we always got them from Murray's Bagels okay. over in Chelsea. Awesome. Delicious bagels. They're really good. And they would come <laughs> hot. Uh-huh. They were good. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so I don't have anything else to plug. We're just I a mean, kick-ass bar. We're yeah, just like, we're just come a bar. to the Spring Lounge. They're here. Come and hang out. It, it feels it feels very much like there's not a pandemic going on in here. Like every like it's chill. People are hanging out. And yeah. it feels very much like this is a place where you can just go and have a drink and forget that like shit is weird out there. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna plug Hinterlands Bar. I'm gonna plug Minis. I'm gonna plug. Um, that, that's all I got, actually. Um, <laughs> or the Flophouse podcast. Um, and we What's have the all Flophouse kinds of, podcast? That is Stuart's podcast. Um, it's different from this podcast. Um, and what else? We got karaoke Saturday nights at Minis. Awesome. We got trivia on Sundays at Hinterlands. We got drag bingo at Minis on Thursdays. We show Drag Race whenever Drag Race is on. Oh, my God, and you do? We do. God damn it. Why don't Move I back live to closer? <laughs> so I was just thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about Drag Race, and I was thinking about uh-huh. karaoke. And I was uh-huh. like, you know what this world means? Is yes. less karaoke and more Drag Race lip syncing. Like, <laughs> because I have no interest in karaoke whatsoever. Okay. No one needs to hear this voice uh-huh. in a singing capacity. <laughs> it's just not cute. However, <laughs> I would slay a lip syncing. That's a good I idea. I think that Just would be so goddamn night. fun. That would be fun. Lip sync night? Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I'm all about that. That's a good idea. That's actually a good idea. Everybody that pulls up next to me at a red light hears this voice. So <laughs> No, me too, but only when I'm in the car by myself. And so I because I don't even I won't even subject my husband to it because God I subject like, him no to it. And I and I sing karaoke. And my voice is not good, but I mean it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Which is good for lip syncing. That's I mean, thing. that's like somebody who's listening to this is going to do that. I am a natural performer. I want to be performing. Uh-huh. I want to be on stage. But the voice. But the voice holds me back, man. There's always something holding me back. I mean, I feel like that's a good. That's a good idea. I that's know. That's a really good idea. I know. We'll build a stage in here. Maybe <laughs> if they, 
If they take away the outdoor, we could turn it into a stage. (laughs) All right. On that note, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, This this is so fun. This was fun. This has been I Know the Owner. I'm Charlene Wellington. And... Jen Meslanka. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.